Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians, working our way through the book of Corinthians, a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth that he founded himself. He was the founder of that church, and uh, he got it, went into a place where nobody knew anything about Jesus. Never, never even heard of Jesus, and he went in and started preaching and got responses and set up a church there in Corinth, and he was there for a year and a half or so, and then he had to move on, and so uh, he's writing back to help them. And we said that the main question as we started is, how do you run a church anyway? What do you do to run a church? What are we expected to do? And uh, that's what we've been talking about for a couple weeks. And we said last week uh, that Paul mentioned that there were three types of people. He's what he called the natural man. And then he said there's a spiritual man. And then he said there's a carnal man who uh, the natural man ignores God, says I don't need God. He said I'm going to live my life without God. And so he can't understand spiritual things. And there's people who are born again who do understand and they have the spirit of God in them. And he helps them to understand it. But he said, then there are people who have not grown up. They have not progressed. They've asked Jesus in their heart, but they're not getting anywhere. And they should be eating steak, and they're still sucking on a bottle. And he said, that's a problem. That's your problem, he said to the people in Corinth. That's why you argue. That's why you fight. You argue and fight because you're carnal. You haven't grown up enough to grasp it. And so he's laid them out pretty good. First of all, he just said, you got to stop that. Secondly, now he said to them, uh, you're carnal. You're not grown up as Christians. And you're going to need to grow up so that you stop fighting and arguing. Now we pick it up from there as he goes in. We're in chapter number 3. And we're going to back up a couple of verses, and so we can get started here. In chapter 3, I'm going to start at verse number 9. Um, For we are laborers together with God, you are God's husbandry, and he says you are God's building. In order for people to understand how the church works, how does the church run, there are uh, three things in the Bible used to describe the church. And there was a pastor that I used to listen to. I uh, went to his church for a while, a long time ago. And his delivery was the most boring thing in the world. And you couldn't hardly stay awake. But if you could listen, he had something to say. And so you had to slap yourself in the head, you know, pitch yourself. Pay attention because it'll be worth it if you do. Even though it's hard to listen to, it's good. And this is what he said one time that I never forgot. There are three things that are used to describe the church. Uh, first one, he said, uh, there is a bride. The church is called the bride of Christ. And then he said, uh, there is a body. We use the body to describe the church. And then he said, we use a building. 
Now remember I said the other week that making sure all the words begin with the same letter? <laughs> well, they actually do. In the Bible here, this actually is the way it was. I'm sure it wasn't in the original language, but it works out. So then we come to English, we talk about these three things. How are you going to understand what the church is and how it functions? Well, he says it's like a bride, and the bride shows the love of Christ. So we talk about how Christ loves the church like a bride, like a husband loves a bride. And we talk about body. That's the thing that we have that's a living. That's the life of Christ, the energy of Christ in the body and how it functions as a single unit. And then the last one, he says, is the building. And the building has to do with the labor of Christ. If you're going to have a building, you're going to have to work to build it. And this is about work. And so... Each one of those things helps us to grasp the concept of what the church is supposed to be, what it's going to be like. And now here in this passage, he's going to say to us, I want to tell you that you are the building. You are God's building. He says we are laborers together. We work. All right, there's his word. We work. We labor together. We work. And we are a building and God is building a building. It's like uh, add, going to build a structure. Church is like that. And how it's going to function. And I have a lot to do with the way that a building is built. All right. And so we're going to consider his instructions here about the church as a building. Now we already know from Sunday morning that church is ecclesia, people gathered together. All right. So what do they do when they get together? Well, uh, God, one of the ways that God looks at it and Paul's using here to describe it is like building a building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. And so the point of saying that the church is a building is that there is a foundation laid and then we're going to build on that foundation, all right? But there's a foundation. He said he laid a foundation for the church in Corinth. That is, he went in there and he uh, founded it. He said, we're going to have a church here. And he was the one to start it. And that's what he means here. Uh, then he says, let every man take heed how he builds thereon. So uh, the body of Christ, the church, is going to build. You will build. He says, oh, not me, I'm not about that. Oh, yes, you are. If you're sitting here and you believe in Jesus, you're building. You're part of this building, you're building. You're part of it. What you do is part of it. Now he says, I came in and laid a foundation. We founded the church in Corinth. Now you've got to be careful how you build on what we started. And of course, his foundation 
Remember what he said? He said, I'm determined to know nothing among you save Christ, what? And him crucified. So he came and he said, here's my sermon for you. Jesus Christ died on a cross. Here's my next sermon for you. He paid for your sins when he died on a cross and he just kept going. Here's what Jesus did on the cross. And he told them over and over and over again. That was what he said. That was his foundation. All right? And he called himself a wise master builder. He's wise. And he's a master builder. He's a wise master builder. You're going to scratch your head at that as we go on. It's good. He wants you to scratch your head a little. Time we did. Think harder about what we're thinking about. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he says, here's the foundation for the church. The foundation, he said, I didn't really lay it. I built on the original foundation for the church, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Now, we got some confusion about that over in Matthew chapter number 16. We can lay this to rest once and for all. You never have to be confused about it again. <coughs> but There is confusion. That's the way this reads. That confuses it. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Verse 15, Matthew 16, verse 15. And he said to them, or Jesus said to his disciples, Whom do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto Blessed art thou, Simon Bajona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. God helped you, Peter, to understand that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that was promised for 4,000 years. This is who he is. He is also the Son of God. And this is where we get confused. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a large number of people who said, Peter must be the rock. Peter is the foundation. Peter's the rock, because he says here, you're Peter, which means stone, and upon that rock I'll build my church. And now I don't think that's what he meant at all. Peter said, you're the Christ. He says, you're right, Peter. God showed you. On that rock, Jesus, I'll build my church. Of course, I'm talking about the Catholic people who say that Peter was where the church was built. Right? And it's not at all what it says. What does it say over in 1 Corinthians? There's only one foundation, that's Jesus Christ. There's no other one. Can't be any other. You can't lay another foundation and call it the church. Right? And so when they say that Peter was, the, he built the church on Peter, Peter's a wise master builder, like Paul. He will lay the next line of stones across. 
and laying on, but the foundation is always Jesus Christ. And so you got to remember that. And what the error of it was that the Catholics said Peter was the rock of the church. Okay? And so, uh, seeing as he was the main guy in the church, uh, he was going to be a succession of main people. And we're going to call him the Pope. So, all these important people are going to assign you're the Pope, you're the Pope, you're the Pope. And you're following in Peter's footsteps. Right? Now, never anywhere in the Bible does it set up secession. Or in other words, the next one, the next one, the next one. Uh, it did when they were related in the Old Testament, tribe of Levi. Right? You had to be in a tribe of Levi to be a priest. But when the New Testament came, all those laws were thrown out. There's no succession of popes. If you'd have said to Peter, hey, Peter, you're the first pope. He said, what the world are you talking about? I'm just another guy building on the foundation." And so the Catholic error is bound up in that. And that's how they get to the point where they say, well, the Pope is uh, in charge. And they went a little further, said, he's infallible. Can't make a mistake. That's a pretty good stretch. <laughs> when you're stretching, you stretch the long way when you said the Pope can't make a mistake. Right. That's a long stretch. And so... What he says here, and that's the thing about the Bible, uh, when there's a questionable passage like that, you can probably find another one that clears it up. And we got it right here in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the foundation of the church. And he said, now you are going to build on it. You're all building on his foundation. Every one of you is building on the foundation of the church. The church, the group of people are like a building. They're going to tie themselves together, go on top of each other, be supportive, all right, have strength, and that's how it's going to work together. And Jesus is that main foundation. Another place Jesus says he's the cornerstone. All right, The stone that the builders rejected became the head cornerstone. That's what Jesus talked about himself. Or in other words, they said we don't want Jesus in our church. We'll kill him and get rid of him. But God said <laughs> you can do whatever you want. He's the head cornerstone of this new thing called the church. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And everything that we do, everything that we do uh, is building on that foundation. We say, well, not me. I, oh, yes, you do. You're sitting here. You believe you do build. Right. No. Notice he says, let every man take heed how he builds. You may not be doing a good job building, and maybe you do. All right, and that's why he's going to say what he's going to say, verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So, we have two things you can build with gold, he says, or silver, or precious stones. Something very 
valuable. You can build that way. Or you may build with wood and hay and stubble, which is uh, no value. No value. You say, well, wood's pretty good. Not when you set a match to it. <laughs> All right. Some things are valuable because they can stand that. And then other things, you're building on the foundation of the church, and you're building sometimes wood, hay, and stubble. So what does that mean anyway? What does that mean? Everybody's building. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you're building. All right. So what kind of work, what kind of labor is gold, silver, and precious stones? And is there other things that are wood, hay, and stubble? Well, certainly... Uh, in the definition of church is there's work for everybody to do. And when we get into this, it's easy to get confused because we often think of work as, here's a shovel, start digging. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that is also work we can do for the Lord. Uh, there are some people who are going to work. They're going to grab a broom and they're going to sweep up whenever... Something needs sweeped up. And they're going to be out there uh, pulling weeds in the flower beds. And they're going to be out there uh, painting. They're going to be doing work. And that's what he said. There's labor, there's work for the building. But why do they do the work? What is the work of the church? Well, anything can be work. All right? There's some people who are going to grab a shovel. Some people who are going to jump on a lawnmower. Some people who are going to shovel snow. There's all those are jobs that need to be done. They say, well, that's just taking care of a building. No, no, it's not. No, it isn't. Get that out of your head. That's not what it is. It is adding to building in the church. The church as a single unit, the church as a building, has been given a mission. And in Matthew 28, we see the mission of the church where it's stated most clearly, the last few verses of the book of Matthew, where it's stated most clearly, Chapter 28, just before Jesus ascends, verse 18. Jesus came and said unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. And so the mission of the church is go and tell the gospel. Everything that I said, everything that I did, go and tell that gospel for the purpose. The reason of it is that we might save souls, people would come to believe. And so God made church. He said, we're going to gather a group of people together and that's going to be their main mission. And so they're going to represent that 
message. That mean everybody's going to go out and say it? Well, if we hope you say it when, whenever anyone going to ask you. If you have a neighbor or a friend or something, a family member, we hope you're willing to say it to them. But everybody will contribute to the health of the building of the church. And everybody has something. So I said, like I said, some will work. Some will pray. Very valuable. Very valuable. Some of the people that I've treasured the most over the years have been the prayers in that pew right there. Sat a little lady about this high, could hardly uh, walk and hardly talk. She was handicapped her whole life. But boy, she could pray. And what a treasure she was. And Hazel Howard was her name. And, uh, <laughs> I remember... I was coming from a Bible study, and she always went with me. I'd pick her up. She lived down the road that way and take her to Bible study way up north somewhere. We are on our home, a howling blizzard, howling blizzard. And I get down in the swamp, my car died. And so, it's, I mean, it's a howling blizzard. And I said, Hazel, do you think you'll be all right here? I'm going to run back. There's a house back there half a mile or so. I'm going to run all the way there and make a call. Call Jeff. Have him come and get me. So I ran back and, uh, and I ran back to that car. I think poor Hazel is sitting there in the middle of a blizzard. Got in the car. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Doing good. You okay while I was gone? I just pray. Well, good. Good. And she said, I want to tell you something. I said, what? She says, when you, when you open a church, I'm going to come to it. I said, I'm not open to one. She said, when you do, I'm coming. <laughs> she told me later, she said, every time you drive by my house on the way to work, I pray for you. And I'm sitting on the porch watching. You go by and I pray for you. And then when you come home, I pray for you again. Twice a day, I pray for you. You've been doing that for years. And she knew about this church before I did. Matter of fact, when she said, I'm going to start, a when you start the church, I'll be there. I said, I have no plans of doing that. She said, well, you do. <laughs> she knew better than I did. Because her, her building, what she built, was prayer. And there have been some others that are like that, very extremely valuable uh, people. Uh, they're building that way. There's some who will give. There's some who will give and give and give and give and find a way to give. And, uh, and there's others who can't, can't possibly give. They can barely get by. All right? There are other people who will never lift a finger. They will never lift a finger. They wouldn't help if, if it was right in front of them. They couldn't get out the door. They'd go out the other door to get around it. Some who will never lift a finger. You say, well, what about those people? Well, some people are building on the foundation in a different way. And there are people who have this wonderful knack of talking to their neighbors, uh, talking to their friends, and they're the ones, when they come to church pretty soon, they're bringing somebody with them. And somebody else comes with them. Somebody else comes with them. Extremely valuable people. I don't need them to mow the lawn. I need them to go to the restaurant and talk. 
Because there they're building a foundation too. They're laying up a found, on that foundation. And they're building the church. So the definition of the church, you got these people all working together for the message to tell the message. You say, well, what's mowing the lawn got to do with telling the message? Well, it's got to do with it because when people drive by and they say, you know, that church looks nice. People who clean up, clean the church is pretty important. I remember one day, and it's been more than one time, I think I even saw it tonight. Uh, you come here and there's a crushed cookie all smashed in a carpet. I remember behind that pew right there, one day I looked and there was a big old cookie some kid had and threw it on the floor, just all smashed. And suppose that the cleanup crew didn't do anything that week and the new person came sat in that pew. What would you say if it was you? I'd look and say, these people are pigs. I don't want to be with these people. Look, at they don't even care enough to clean up the floor. And so when they jump by and the place looks nice and the flowers are in bloom and the church is nice and white and the works are done and it looks nice, it's all part of what we're doing. We want to invite people to be part of a group. And so we all have some role to play. Now, we all are playing that role. All right, we're all doing those things. And he says, some of us are laying up gold, silver, precious stones, valuable things. You're doing things that will add to the mission of the church, all right, which is to get the message out. That's what our primary service is. We have other services to each other, feed the flock, right, care for each other. We have those services. But we have a primary message, which is to get it out. And so when somebody uh, does a good job somewhere and it reflects back well on the church and people say, yeah, I wouldn't mind going. They, they take care of things. They do. That's what Old Fashioned Day is all about all about you being on display. And you thought it was whatever we were making in the blacksmith shop or whatever we were cooking, serving a hot dog. No, it's not about you. About you on display. And how well you present yourself. And so it's very possible you could build and be a nasty person. I had people come to me say, man, so-and-so was really nasty to somebody at Old Fashioned Day. That would be wood, hay, stubble. Yeah. That would be wood, hay, and stubble. And so uh, we have people who say, I'm a believer, I attend that church, but they may not build anything of any value. I mean, stubble, if you think about it, what is it? It's what's left when you cut the wheat, and that's the stubble underneath it. You know? Uh, I had a farmer was, I worked for was tighter than bark to a tree. He made me go out and mow the stubble. I mean, it was, you know, about this high. He mowed it and, and, and raked it and baled it because he wanted to get every little last straw in the barn. <laughs> stubble is not much value. And when you touch a match, it's gone. Just like that. Right. Hey, 
and wood. Those things burn up. And so some of the work that people do, they're all working. Don't say, oh, we're not working. Oh, yes, you are. All right. And so our character, building our character, is very much a part of this work, which is, all right, what does the Bible say? It says, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Those are the characteristics that we are to grow up. Remember, he said the carnal person didn't grow up. We're to grow up and display those characteristics. And if we're displaying those characteristics to our neighbors, to the people around us, we're part of what's building here in the church. We're building those things. So he says, you can build on the foundation that we lay good things, things that are going to last, or maybe you don't bother. You just keep your miserable old grouchy old self and do whatever it is you do and, and snap and bite at people. And then where are you there? Well, you're not adding to the, to the church. You're building it, but what's there you build is not going to amount to anything. Because here's what happens, verse 13 now. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Well, what day is that? Well, that's the day we call the judgment day. You and I are all going to go stand before God someday. And, he's going to, and Jesus is particularly the judge going to stand before him and he's going to say, all right, let's see how you built on the foundation. What did you do? What did you do? Were you helped? Did you do positive things? Did you let the Spirit of God make you attractive to the people out there? All right. And he says, every man's worth is going to be made man because God's going to set a match to it. <laughs> and if what you did was just selfish, self-centered, those kind of things. You're going to burn that up in a second and be gone. And here's what happens. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. All right, so if we have done the things and contributed to what the church mission was, he said, then you'll get a reward for that. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So he said, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really, <laughs> I'm not building the church. Oh, yes, you are. The work that you're building will someday whoosh, be burned up. So you say, well, what's the difference? It says he goes to heaven. Well, here's the difference. Right? When we get to heaven, and the Bible says this in quite a few places, our hymn book says it over and over and over and over again. Um, there will come a day when we are judged, and God will say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you did what you should, here's a crown for you. And you can put the crown on your head. All right? so you get a crown. Now, if he burns everything up, eh, yeah, you come to heaven because God's so good and kind. You can come to heaven, but you got nothing. You're coming empty-handed. You got nothing to show. So what happens? Well, there comes a great day when it says everybody 
your entire human population, entire angelic population, gathers around the throne of God, and he's seated on this fantastic throne with rainbows coming out of it, and in front of it is a sea of glass, and it says they took their crowns and they cast their crowns at his feet. Because it's a sea of glass, everything you do is magnifying and it looks twice as good as what it was. All right? It's a mirror. You throw your crown in there and it looks like two crowns coming, landing at the feet of Jesus. And what's the song we sing? Crown him with many crowns. Take yours off throw it to him. And some people are going to stand there. You got nothing to throw. Man, I don't want to be that one. I don't want to be the one with nothing to throw. All right? There's some people whose crowns are so big that go around my shoulders. God bless them. Hazel's crown's bigger than mine. All right? God bless her. And I'll help her get it off her shoulders if she still can't lift it. And we'll throw it down in front of Jesus' feet. And that will be a moment when everyone says, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for what he did, the foundation, Christ crucified, we would be nothing. And so we're building this building. And that means there's coming a time, he says, in the future, when they're going to check you out and see how well you built. And he said, be careful how you build, he said. Be sure you're careful about the way you build. It's very, very important. So how are you building? How are you building on that foundation? All right, and so there are ways to build, ways to build, and you've got to find that thing. Now, you may never preach a sermon, all right, but uh, you may mow the lawn, uh, you might be one of those witnesses that sits in a restaurant and talks to everybody. Now, you may be somebody that fills the food trough. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. All right. Gold, silver, precious stones. And here's the thing that in my last 33 years here has been something that I've thought about very, very often. Um, what he's talking about here is the record of your life. Now, I do eulogies when people die. And I sit down and have discussions with the family. Sometimes I know the person well enough that I can get up and just talk. A lot of times I sit down and talk with the family, talk over things. And I, what I'm looking at is what? They're gone now. And what did their life, what was their life all about? And... Sometimes it's been pretty hard to come up with anything. I remember the guy, his wife said he sat in the chair for three months and stared out the window at the woods, and then he died. I thought, why didn't you call somebody? Why didn't you find a minister? Do something. What am I going to say? Well, he sat and looked out the window until he died. There's not much of life there, okay? And in our lives... You're going to say, all right, what did they do? What did they do for God? What did they do? And that's what he's saying here. We're going to look at your life. Uh, uncooperative, 
Is that what it is? Uh, all taken and no given? How about your relationships? How many failed relationships? That's all a record of your life. Right. So he's pretty serious. This is pretty important stuff here. Now watch what he says. To help us to think about our whole life and the record that we're going to leave behind. Verse 16. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. I always think of it like this. Um, If you invited Jesus to your house, well, you invite anybody to your house, right? What do you do first? Clean up, right? Anybody say no? (laughs) Sure. They're coming over. Well, let's pick up things and clean up and make sure the house looks good. So you invite Jesus over. What in your house needs to go? What's in there that needs to get taken care of? He says, I'm going to live inside of you. The Spirit of God is going to come and dwell inside of you. Think he wants to dwell in a filthy old rotten place? He doesn't want to dwell there. He said, I won't dwell there. I will not dwell in a place that's full of anger, in a place that's full of stress. It's not what I want. I'm looking for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's what I'm looking for. I want to dwell in that place. I'll come in there and I'll help you. All right, but if you're going to have those things inside of you, I'm not going to stay. I, I says, he says he'll destroy that thing. He'll destroy it. Or if you're going to live that way, you're going to pay a price. So our overall life, when somebody's going to write our eulogy at the end, what's it going to be? I, I heard of a lady just recently, and uh, she's known where she works as the Christian lady. Because she quite often tells people, I'm Christian. She's known as the Christian lady. If you're in the process of doing your job, the Christian lady waits till you go away for a minute and she'll come over and finish up and say, well, I finished your job for you. And then later on, when there's work to be done, she says, well, that's not my job. She's known as the Christian lady. She's uncooperative. She's hard to get along with. She's critical. She's miserable. And people she works with have just about had it right up to there because the Christian lady is so hard to get along with. How do you think that falls into this? She's building stubble. Double what she's putting on the foundation. And God's going to burn it up and be gone like that. So we really need to think about wood, hay, stubble and things. Our relationships, we see a job needs to be done. We do it. We work. All right. And we know that we get a reward and a crown. We don't want to go to heaven empty-handed. All right. So it's important. Verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. 
For the wisdom of this world is foolishness of God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Now, he's coming back around to something which he started before when he said, uh, uh, you guys are arguing. What are they arguing about? Well, I like Paul. I like Apollos. I like uh, Peter. And somebody else says, well, I like Christ. And they're having a big argument about it. And so he's telling us one more thing about serving God. He says, let no man deceive himself. Let no man deceive himself. He says, if you think you've got it all figured out, you think you've got it all, I'm, I know this Christian stuff, i got it down, don't worry, i got it. You ain't got it. You ain't got it all together. All right, so don't fool yourself and say, I, I know how to do this. I'm a good Christian. Got it all figured out. No, 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 he said, well, here's another thing about these master builders, that they were humble. They had humility. They had humility. And that's an important thing. Now the next verse, next two verses, have captured my imagination like they never did before. These next two verses are spectacular. (laughs) Wow. These are really cool. And he's trying to get them to get over their petty arguments and their bad relationships that they had among each other. Look, we're building this building together. Let's build well on it. Do our what we should do, all right. And, and let's be humble about the work we do, and uh, let's get it together and build this building that God wants us to build. And He says, uh, "Don't think you got it all together." But here's, what, here's something for you, verse. If we look at twenty-one, let no man glory in men. Period. Now we start this new thought. For all things are yours. Now, I never thought of living where everything's mine. <laughs> he said, all things are yours. This is a fantastic thought. I mean, my mind has been bending around this over and over. He said, look, he said, here's a way that you look at life and that you look at how your life is and how it fits into the building of the church of Jesus Christ. Here it is. Everything's yours. So he says, well, they're Paul. Okay, Paul is yours. He says, Paul is yours. I read down to him. Paul belongs to me. Paul is mine. So if I want to understand the most difficult connection that anybody ever had to figure out. God picked the Apostle Paul and he said, explain to people for the next 2,000 years how God went from the Old Testament to the New Testament. 
how God went from the temple and its sacrifices to Jesus Christ on the cross and tie those two things together. And believe me, nobody in the first century would have done it. They were fighting and arguing over it for years, chasing Paul around, trying to kill him. They stoned him. They did everything they could. They said, you can't bring these two together. He did. The book of Hebrews is a masterpiece as it explains how the old and the new are related to each other. It's a brilliant thing. But Paul's mine. I got it. He's mine. I want to understand those things. I can go right there. He's mine. All right? And they're saying, well, Paul's mine. He's not yours. No, no. He says, well, I'm everybody's. I'm everybody's. And then who's the next guy? And he says, Apollos, say he's yours. Apollos is mine. Why is that good? Because there ever guy knew how to say things. That was a, such a way that you'd never forget it. Some preachers can say things that you'd never forget it. Even that old boring guy I talked about said something that I never forgot. All right? And there are some people can say it, and you say, man, that Paulus said something that inspired me, and it's going to stick in my mind forever. Yes, it is. He's mine. I, I got him. He's mine. I, I can have him. He's mine. I'm not arguing about he's better than this one. No, they're all good. They all did something a little different. They're all good. And then he says, or Peter, Cephas is Peter. Peter's mine. Why do I need Peter? Because was there ever a guy who fell so far, was so confident, and fell so far down that he denied Christ three times? Three days later, Jesus is talking to him face to face. Another couple weeks later, Jesus is telling him, feed my sheep. And then 10 days later, he's in preaching one of the great sermons of all time. We need those kind of examples, people who hit the lowest bottom you could hit and then went, <laughs> need that. I'm, Peter's mine. I need Peter. I can read about him. I can understand how God is so good and forgiving when he, what he did to Peter. And I can understand that you could step up. And so Peter's mine. Pick one you want. Alistair Begg. This Last week, I think it was, he preached a sermon that so impressed me that I think it was the best sermon I ever heard on marriage. It was a masterpiece. He's mine. I can have him. He's mine. Oh, everything's yours. Everything's mine. All right? I want Alistair Begg for my preacher. You can have him. He's mine. I'll take them. All right? So these, says all those people are yours. They're all yours. What are you arguing and fighting over them for? They're all yours. Take what you can get from what they are. Now, watch this. Or the world. Take a look at the world and say, that's mine. And what does he mean by that? Well, it's a few things it might mean, but to me, here's what it means. I moved into the house behind where I lived for years, where my father's house, and my father's house was made so you could look outside. In the house I lived in, you could never hardly see outside. But, uh, the other one I'm living in now, you can see outside all the time, and I look at the cardinal flying a tree and say, that's mine. Then comes the goldfinches, and never mine. 
And the Blue Jays come, that's mine, too. Rose-breasted, gross-breasted. All day I'm saying, that's mine. I look out at a sunset that I hadn't seen my whole lifetime because I never had a west window to look out. And I look out at this big window at the sunset every night, and I say, thank you. That's mine. That's mine. This is what God's doing. So what do you want? Yeah, look what I got for you. Just take it. It's yours, all right? And I look at the moon comes up because I'm half awake half the time. And I, there's one time in the night about 2.30 where the moon is perfectly out that window like a frame. And I look and I say, that's mine. That's my moon. All right? So let's go on. See what he sells. Or a life. And this is what we need. Life is mine. I'm going to live this life, and I'm going to take it. It's mine. God said, Paul said, it's yours. It's yours is life. You want life? Yeah, I want life. I want to have life abundant. He said, that's what you can have. It's yours. And I look at now, all right, life now, and I say, this is mine. I have life. I have life from God. I'm thinking, and I'm breathing, and I'm uh, uh, Experiencing God, and I'm worshiping. Uh, this is wonderful. And I look out and I worship when the sun sets. I got life. God put it in me. It's mine. It's mine. What's the next one? Here's one for you. Death. You say, I don't want death. Oh, yes, you do. Take death. Say, There's death. He says, it's yours. You bet it's mine. I'm taking it. I'm taking death. Why? Because it's going to walk me from this world into the arms of Jesus Christ. And when I lay down, I close these old eyes for the last time, and the next minute it's face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Face to face shall I behold him far beyond the starry skies. Face to face in all his goodness I shall see him by and by. There was an old preacher of the last century. And they said he was laying in bed dying and all of a sudden he sat up straight and he said, I'm sweeping through the gates of glory. And he fell over dead. Death was his. Death is mine. You ain't taking it. I'm taking it. I'll take it. It's going to put me right where I want to be. Death is mine, he says. What a wonderful thought it is. I remember when my great-grandmother died, my grandmother said that just before she died, she suddenly said, there's a big light outside the window. And she died. Death is mine. I love it. I'll take it. It's yours, he says. It's yours. And here's one. Things present. Right now, this time, right now that we live, right now, right here, he says, you want this present? It can be yours. I'll take it. I'll take it. It is my time to obey God, my time to serve, and I have an opportunity. And if you ask me, Eric, tell me about this church, what it means to you, what it meant most to me ever since the beginning is an opportunity for me to serve. It's a place where I can serve in this present moment. I got something to do for God. I'm going to serve. And so the present is mine. Why? Because I got opportunities. I'm going to use them. All right? And what's the next one? The future 
things to come are all yours. Afraid of the future, are you? Listening to the news too much? Afraid of the future? Here's what it is. If the present's mine, if the world is mine, if Alistair Begg is mine, and all those things are mine, then I'm going to tell you the future is mine, and God will use it for my good, whatever comes down my pathway. Whatever comes. I don't care what it is. All things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Why should I fear the future? God has kept me alive and he's going to keep me going till they drag me over and put me in a hole over there. And up till then, I'm going to have the time of my life serving God. It's mine. The future's mine. So what an amazing passage. And he says, you, no, you got all those things. You got these great preachers explaining to you, teaching you wonderful things. And you got life, and you got death coming, and you got the present and your future. And this world around is all yours, just standing and looking at it and say, It's all mine. And then what are you going to do for God? Everything I can get out. Everything I can get out. Anything I can get done, whatever I can do, I'm going to do it for God because other foundations can no man lay than that which is laid. So how do you want to build on it? I want to build gold, silver, and precious stones on so that when the future comes and I go to that place through the portal of death, I can say, here's what I did with my life. I gave it all I had. It's yours. All those things are yours. Fantastic passage. What a mind-expanding passage. And he says, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. I belong to Jesus. And he says, you're my child. This world belongs to me. The future belongs to me. The present belongs to me. It all belongs to me. You're my child, and you belong to me. So, do you not want to serve him? You want to keep a dirty house for him? Oh, no, no, no. Let's go. Let's get it going. It's a fantastic passage as he talks about, all right, you know, you want to live your life, serve God, and in the end, when you're done, and they say, here's what they did. Man, let's make it as full a page as we can get. All right, let's do that. And there's another place that says we're going to lay up treasures in heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven. And, uh, and then he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I always think, well, he's got a special house for me. I'm going to fill it before I get there. <laughs> I'm going to get it full before I get there. So when I get there, they say, what'd you get? I laid up them things ahead of time. Laid up those treasures. So, when they do your eulogy, what's going to be the word that describes it? Is it going to be you were miserable? Nasty? Hard to get along with? The Christian lady? <laughs> or is it going to be, no, I believe and I've done my work to change myself to make me uh, attractive to the world around me 
and to make our church, our ecclesia, our group of people attractive to the world around you so that when our day comes, and uh, there's a thing on the wall, maybe you've never read it, maybe you have, been there hanging there for years because I like what it says. A little church of no renown stands on a country road. Faithfully, God's people come to hear the truth that's told. Year by year, the word goes out without great pomp or show, but with concern that those who hear in faith might stronger go. This little church of no renown stands faithful to God's name, though small on earth, to a one day stand in God's own hall of fame. You ever read that before? Been there for years. It's a good thing. That's what we want to be, all right? So you want to know how do you run a church? That's a pretty good lesson. And I had all chapter 4 already, but I got so wrapped up in chapter 3, <laughs> I can't get on because I ran out of time. But these things are fantastic. And that passage, when he says, these things are yours. Wow. That's a full life. He's talking about living a full life enjoying the life that you live for God, not being afraid of the future or death. They're all things that belong to me, and I can have them. He said, there they are. So that's what you want? Yeah, that's what I want when I'm done. And put on my grave. That's why he served the Lord. He served the Lord. That'd make me happy. And that's all I need. All right, I've got to stop out of time. Chapter 4. We'll get a little deeper, see if it'll get us going, huh? Thank you.